Welcome to The Human Perspective with internationally recognized badass disability activist Judy Human. This week, Judy is in conversation with three of her dearest friends, who also happen to be the producers of the documentary Crip Camp, A Disability Revolution, Jim Lebrecht, Sarah Boulder, and Nicole Noonan. They break down their journey starting from when Judy and Jim reconnected after Camp Jeanette, all the way to how it felt the moment Crip Camp was nominated for an Academy Award. If you haven't watched Crip Camp yet, pause this episode and go watch it. It's available on Netflix, and as of right now, it's free on YouTube. Jim Lebrecht is a former camper at Camp Jeanette, a disability advocate and a sound engineer who worked on dozens of films prior to producing Crip Camp, including well-known documentaries such as The Waiting Room and Minding the Gap. Jim and Nicole Noonan, who are the directors of Crip Camp, became friends through working together in the documentary world, since Nicole is a renowned documentary producer on films such as Sentenced Home and The Revolutionary Optimist. Sarah Boulder is one of the producers on Crip Camp and is also a sound engineer and has worked on some small films like Jurassic Park, Star Wars, Mrs. Doubtfire, and Saving Private Ryan, just to name a few. And by the way, the two sound engineers, Sarah and Jim, are married. The Human Perspective is produced by me, Becca Howell, and Judy Human. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to The Human Perspective. So let's roll up, lay down, dance around, get some snacks ready, whatever makes you feel best, and let's meet our guests today. Welcome back to The Human Perspective. Today, we're going to be speaking with three fantastic people who have made Crip Camp a reality. So I'd like to introduce Jimmy Lebrecht, otherwise known to friends as Jim. I call him Jimmy and James, depending on my mood. And Nicole Noonan and Sarah Boulder. And I really hope that the discussion today is not going to be too serious because they've been doing so many interviews. And um, I just thought it would be really fun for people to get to know them more at the people they are. And obviously the film is very important because we're right in the middle of Oscar season. And as most of our viewers will know, Crip Camp is in the five films that are being reviewed to be selected for best documentary. So Jimmy, let me just say that Jimmy. So for those of you who again, have seen the film. The most important part of the film to me is looking at Jimmy when he was 15. And I think we could do a vote. Cute, cute, cute. And so (laughs) cute in looks and cute in the way he presented himself. Jimmy, when you look back at that film and when you first saw the footage, um, how did you feel? Uh, Oh, I was just surprised and uh, amused and kind of went, wow, Jim. (laughs) Yeah. Cute little sucker. (laughs) I guess you could say that, yeah. Thank you for starting off with a really embarrassing question. (laughs) Oh, that wasn't embarrassing. I think anybody, whether they know you or not, that beginning part of you in the car and then you're going down the ramp they are adorable. And the love between you and Nancy, you know, thinking about 15 year old love, oh my God, it makes you cry. 
So, Nicole, tell us a little bit about yourself that people don't know. We know you're a great filmmaker. Uh, we know you have won numerous awards for your documentary work. But, like, what drives you when you get up in the morning? What are things that make you happy and make you feel like you're making a difference? You know, I don't know if before making Crip Camp, I could have articulated it as well as I can now, actually, because I think that the experience of um, working on Crip Camp has um, helped me understand that better. I think that what I've always loved about this work is that experience of sort of finding your tribe of people and doing something together with them. It's really collaborative. It's really scary you're definitely like out on a limb when you're making a documentary because there's no screenplay. There's no roadmap. You don't know what's going to happen when you turn the camera on. You don't know what archival footage you're going to find. So you have to kind of get your people together and have like a shared dream. And then you have to, you know, find people who are, who, who are brave and believe that the power of that story could actually do something in the world. And I like to just immerse myself in it. I like to live in it. You know, um, I'm, I'm sad when it's over. I'm already getting sad at the idea that after this Oscar season, you know, we don't get to stay in the world of Camp Jeanette as much as I've been living in for the past six years. So whatever project I take on, I kind of inhabit heart and soul like that. And, um, and, and, I, and that, that drives me. And how does that impact your life with your family? <laughs> Well, they have to be. Nicole is married. She has two boys. <laughs> they have to be bought in, you know? So, actually, I think about that a little bit when I take on a project. Like the previous film that I worked on before this, that was an independent film, was about actually about like social change and young people, but it was about young people organizing in informal settlements in uh, Kolkata in India and demanding better public health conditions. So, not completely dif- different than, than Crip Camp in some ways. And, um, you know, for my kids, it was like this incredible experience to learn about another culture, another country, and to see young people like themselves, you know, making a difference in the world. And, 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 and Crip Camp was the same, you know, it was kind of part of their world. They live in the East Bay in Berkeley, you know, they know Jim and Sarah. Um, so it's just like it's sort of um, expanding their horizons and they're kind of living in it too with me. And I'm very thankful that I have a family that um, that's up for that adventure and that immersion. Can I just interrupt and add one thing, which is that Nicole's husband, Tom, has been an amazing part of this whole thing. And I think given us some really important counsel, I have no idea what, you know, what kind of conversations you two have had, Nicole, but... Even when, you know, when he, he's been involved really from the get-go, he's a real movement person. He's really smart about movements, about group dynamics within all kinds of work. So, I mean, I'd say Tom is definitely a big part of the team as well. Nicole brings her whole wonderful family along with her. Thank goodness. It's been a complete joy and asset, you know, (laughs) to the experience, I think, for me personally. Oh, yeah. I mean, early on, one of my favorite afternoons was putting together this desk with one of uh, Nicole's sons, you know, and it was just like, we were just doing this thing together. And I just, I don't know. It it brought me a a piece of joy. Yeah. So Sarah, tell us a little bit more about who you are and how you got involved. Um, Who did you first meet in this group of three? How did you meet the person? So I met Jim 
gosh, Jim, how many years ago is it? Um, it's 20? The first know. time? Yeah, the first time. Um, that would have been like like very early 1990. Or, or it was the late in 1989, one or the other. Jim was making the transition from working in theater to film. And I had moved to the Bay Area from New York. So kind of had to get established in the post-production film community here. So we were both working a few um, very, very low budget jobs together, but nothing really sparked there. Um, and years later, we kind of reconnected and Jim and I started going out and now we're married. But until then, I had never thought twice about disability. Nobody in my life that I knew had a disability, just never thought about it. And so I kind of got into Jim's world and kept learning and learning and learning and being having my mind blown in numerous ways. And so before then, I had varied work experience, a little bit of documentary assistant editing in New York, then got into sound editing and then continued doing that. Um, I was a single mom and sole support. So my focus was supporting us and having a career and then changed careers kind of in my late 40s, I think kind of wanted to reconnect with my rabble-rousing activist high school and college years, and so started doing fundraising for various social justice organizations. And so Jim had been, you know, of course, telling me stories about Camp Jeanette for years. And when Nicole came on board and got super excited, I was kind of searching at that point for what to do and just kind of talked my way into the job, <laughs> not really knowing what to expect and getting a lot of mentorship along the way from Nicole as well as some others. What role have you played with the film? Hmm. Um, a lot of fundraising, which was also a very much a team effort. Um, Nicole had amazing connections, which modestly, I'm still finding out things about Nicole's background. <laughs> like, oh yeah, my first film, my student film was at Sundance. I think I found that out at Sundance, it's like, what? <laughs> you know, she just has amazing deep experience and deep relationships within the kind of documentary ecosystem. Yeah, but Sarah, Sarah, you are an amazing fundraiser. Oh, you. you are you are an incredible, incredible fundraiser. You have like every skill set that one would need to to do that. And it's actually like you're I think you're the best the best at it that I've ever seen in, in all, in all my years. And, and, and you do it with like all your heart and soul and just make these deep connections with people. And so you end up feeling like you have this kind of community of people around you supporting the film. And it's, it's brilliant to see. Thank you. I feel like all three of you have a great deal of humility. And I think that's one of the beauties about the team is that you work really effectively together. And I feel very much like there's a real equalness in the balance of the work that you do. You have different roles that you play, but I think the respect amongst the three of you is really great. Sarah, why don't you continue what you were saying? Um, really done, except I would say meeting you in that, I'm even forgetting some of the details of that funny experience of how you and Jim reconnected after many years, which is we have a mutual, I'm, I'm driving in the, um, in the van with Jim years ago and my phone rings and I hear, 
hi, you don't know me, but this is Judy Human. And do you know Jimmy Lebrecht? And do you know how I could reach him? And I burst out laughing. Yes, I know who you are. And yes, he's right next to me. And this was through our two mutual friends, right? And I'm forgetting her name. My friend Karen, good friends with somebody who worked at um, AID for years. Anyway, I'm forgetting the person. But that's how you felt you reconnected. And that was kind of also the beginning part of this journey. Um, and such joy for Jim kind of being back in touch with you and me getting to know you. My star has risen with many people who, your friends are pretty human. <gasps> Do you think we can have dinner together? <laughs> so how long did you two court? Jim's sense of time is, well, all of ours now. I mean, we started dating, and a month later, we're both at Sundance in, what was it, uh, 2004? Yep. Yep. And, um, that kind of you know, just things, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it was, uh, yeah, I, anyway, we moved in together <laughs> a few years later and then got married, um, Years a few later. years later, and then uh, like we, well, Sarah's house was not accessible, yeah. but that wasn't the reason. You know, we were like, "Yeah, this is this is good," <laughs> and um, and uh, you know, yeah, we got married. Uh, you know, uh, uh, a little over ten years ago. Yeah, I was very happy. Okay, so what would you say are some of the biggest surprises um, that you have experienced since the release of the film? Jimmy? You know, there's just been so uh, uh, many... Well, first off, you have to understand that basically the day that the film was released on Netflix was the day that was right around the time the pandemic and all of the shelter-in-place started. So it... um, so, but leading up to that, we were at Sundance where we were fortunate enough to win the audience award for documentary, which was just an extraordinary moment. And so why don't we stop for a second? Cause I was with you all at Sundance and I'm not going to yet explain what, how I felt about it, but it was pretty overwhelming. So when you think about like the first showing, like and the reactions in this in the room where the film was shown and afterwards were there any surprises did you feel at all like you were getting air knocked out of your body from the way clearly i did uh from the way people were responding what were your visceral reactions i i just remember that you know this is the first time i've really seen it with an audience and and I just remember the moment early in the film where the black and white footage and we're coming up on Larry Allison, the camp director, and he's there digging post holes and he's joking around about saying, yeah, I'm digging holes because the campers are kind of clumsy and I want to see them trip. And the audience laughed. And it was that moment and said, oh my God, we they're getting it. Nicole. I mean... First of all, we were all there together, which was so special. You know, it was so amazing to have everyone there. 
So it was like a big band of Genetians. Um, and, you know, Corbett O'Toole and Dennis Billups, who were, you know, key key players in the in the 504 sit-in and incredible activists and people. And so just to have that whole group gathered um, and to be kind of uh, feeling the audience response along with everybody was just like an incredible thing. And I kept like looking back at Denise to see what Denise's response was to like people laugh. Denise Jacobson, um, when, because Denise has just this brilliant way of speaking and when she lands a line, um, like she, she, it's, it's just like meticulously crafted and perfection. And the audience was responding so powerfully to these brilliant things that Denise was saying and the kind of punchlines at the end of some of her jokes. And so I was, I would look at her and then, you know, I, I was basically like grabbing my husband's arm so hard. I think it, it hurt because just squeezing it, like, can you believe it? Because it was all these tiny little decisions and things and hopes and dreams that we had woven into the film for years, you know, um, or like an archival shot that we were like, oh my God, can you believe we found this? And just to hear people responding to all of that and to see that the sum was greater than the parts, you know, that like that uh, standing ovation at the end, which as you remember, went on for like five minutes or something. I mean, it was like one of the longest standing ovations I've ever been a part of for anything. Um, and then there was another whole one just for you, Judy. And I think that that was a very powerful moment because then it felt like it wasn't just the film being recognized. It was the activism being recognized, you know, somehow, um, that, you know, I think I think that was probably one of the most awe-inspiring moments of my life. Mm. And that was the first time, I think, as you were saying, that you had seen the film um, with a crowd of more than a thousand people. We saw it with more than about five people at that point. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And Sarah, so what was your reaction? It was overwhelming. I mean, first of all, the size of the screen in the theater. So seeing it on this massive screen with a full theater with, what was it, 13, 1,400 people in there. Yeah. And, and then there was an And then there was a room. second theater. That's right. Um, and then feeling, it was that standing ovation. I could feel the vibrations, actually, like almost through the stage. Because people, I think some people were pounding their feet also. It was, it was this visceral kind of, beautiful, overwhelming out-of-body experience. And I agree with Nicole, having everybody on the stage there was the best, just the best thing ever. I mean, it, it, it added, I don't, I can't imagine having gone through that without everybody up there. And, you know, what a relief. I mean, I was, Jim's sister was on one side of me and my daughter on the other. And well, Jim's sister, Lindsay, started weeping almost immediately. I mean, she just was so overcome with the experience and seeing it on this huge screen with all these people and hearing the audience reaction really was spectacular. The laughs, the moments where you could hear a pin drop, you could hear tears for sure at numerous times. It, it was, I mean, a highlight of my life. I, I just, I, I was overwhelmed. I still am. I'm actually tearing up at just kind of, being back there in my head. It was beautiful, just beautiful. Did you all feel proud of each other? Yeah. I continue to be yeah. so proud of 
him and Nicole have been on, I mean, it's many hundreds by now, right? Since Sundance of Q&As and in-person and virtual and over and over and live TV and which would make me like, I wouldn't sleep for a week before if that was me. And, you know, and they continue to just like knock it out of the park and be incredibly insightful and charming. And, um, you know, neither of you had deep media experience before this. I know Nicole, you had some, Jim, you had some, but, um, I'm just so proud of both of them for not just the film, but what's happened since the film has been extraordinary and I think equally as powerful. So let's talk about, let's talk about the reach both through the impact campaign and then the, the reach that the film independently of the impact campaign is having. So why did you decide you wanted to do an impact campaign? And why don't you tell the audience, maybe Nicole, because I think you've been involved with other impact campaigns. What is an impact campaign and why did you all decide it was important to really invest time and raise money to launch a meaningful impact campaign? I mean, it's something that I've learned to do on previous projects. And it's the idea that, you know, when a documentary comes out in the world, um, it can do a lot to push a movement forward. If it's a story that is, you know, designed to do that, which this definitely was, right? And we knew that there was um, this opportunity to kind of link the power of the history, um, the story out of history that we were telling to the kind of moment that we're living in. I don't think we quite had the capacity to understand exactly how powerfully the story of 1977 in particular would resonate with the modern moment that we found ourselves in this particular year with the Black Lives Matter movement and this real need for people to understand about cross-movement solidarity and intersectionality and the way that that story of the sit-in in 1977 so beautifully illustrates. So, but, you know, we knew that there was going to be a lot of potential power to push the work around disability rights and disability justice forward. And so, um, so it's basically doing a lot of, um, of groundwork to kind of make partnerships and set up screenings and opportunities to where, to where that can happen. Um, but we uh, were able to, uh, to bring on board two extraordinary young activists from the disability justice movement, um, Stacey Park Milburn and Andrea Levant. And Stacey was someone who Jim and I were previously um, friends with, and she uh, had come to test screenings of the film and actually given some really amazing feedback. Um, and one of the things she said that really stayed with us was, you know, it's too bad you can't see at the end of this film how young people today are coming together in community um, and, do, and doing activism. And so we thought, well, how can we kind of bring those worlds together? And so they devised uh, a lot of amazing ways to actually physically bring people together. But when the pandemic hit, they pivoted and they developed this 16-week virtual camp, which I think was really prescient. I see a lot of people copying it all over the place um, you know, um, e even outside like the, the world of, uh, of disability activism, just everywhere, because it was such an incredibly powerful way that they uh, they figured out how to make an inclusive, accessible space for people to come together in community and build capacity for the movement in the middle of like kind of one of the darkest moments of the pandemic. Um, so uh, they thought 500 people would join in on that virtual experience, they had 10,000 people come from 
over 50 countries around the world. So, um, I mean, that's at the point where you're like, okay, I'm not driving this bus anymore. I'm just kind of sitting back with my mouth hanging open in amazement at, you know, how things can, things that are seeded correctly can kind of take off in, in such powerful ways, which is obviously kind of also the story of Jeanette and the, the film. I think, you know, our audience, some people will know that Stacy unfortunately passed away. And I think that was also, you know, she and Andrea obviously had a very close relationship. And so for me, it's also, you know, to Andrea's credit and all of yours that she was really able to continue moving forward, um, implementing the vision that she and Stacy and you all had and continued to allow this work to go forward. And I think, Sarah, you also have been an important part in being able to help raise funds for the work they're doing. Yeah. Right? All of us were from the beginning and Sundance Institute was incredibly helpful with that as well. Um, bringing us to a program they have called Catalyst while we were still making the film so that we could raise a good chunk of money during production that was meant for impact work so that we really could do these things um, in parallel, which is hard to do, not just for, because of the fundraising part, but because you know, you're focused on finishing the film. And that was hugely impactful. Yeah, it was really important. And um, yeah, that we were able to do that. And I was gonna say that I think one thing that was unusual about this campaign is that impact producing for film is, is a field, right? It's a career. And those folks, m many of them are great, but we went a very different route, which was to go to the community and find people who are activists and embedded in the community and had never done film impact work before, but they had all of the skills necessary and they were rooted in the community. And I think that's a really important thing to look at for other documentary films, which isn't to say professional impact producers should not be involved, but maybe there's some hybrid or bringing more people into the field from the communities whose stories are being told. I, I, I don't think this work would have progressed this way if we had gone a more typical route. Oh, I just wanted to say that I remember, you know, Stacy and Andrea, when we were interviewing them and talking with them about taking this on, one of the things that Stacy was really clear about was she was like, we, we would like to actually become impact producers. You know, we would be interested in doing this across other movement films, you know, not necessarily just around disability. And that's actually, you know, I mean, it's, it's poignant and emotional to think about Stacy not being here, but I think we all think almost every day about how the vision, the big, the big dream she had has, is, has really come true, you know, and Andrea now has this incredible team of people and they are being asked to take on impact campaigns for films, you know, in related to disability and not related to disability and all kinds of like really powerful, amazing cultural work that they're doing with you know, big international companies. And, and, um, and so, yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it was um, definitely like an, an incredibly powerful um, convergence of, of people with like a, a, a big fierce vision and a, a powerful skill set. And then this amazing opportunity, you know. I know Netflix doesn't share numbers, but um, do you have 
any sense of the number of people who have seen the film? I would guess, you know, somewhere, you know, around a million people, but or yeah, more. it's you just, don't know, really. Um, we, yeah, they just don't share that. Right. Well, people can argue against us, but I think um, some of the important parts about the film, also when it was released, um, how did you convince uh, Netflix to put the film forward in 29 languages, captioned languages, and 19 uh, languages for audio description? And do you have any idea uh, what impact audio description is having on broadening the audience of people who are watching the film? They really were pretty extraordinary partners. They really kind of got on board with kind of the ethos of the film and the message of the film. And so, yeah, they expanded those numbers of different languages. Um, And it was really quite extraordinary when we heard that news. And, and then when we requested that they make a script for people who are deafblind to download, it happened. And it's a 163-page narrative of this film. I mean, and, and um, you know, Haben Gurman said, you know, um, this is the first time I've, like, watched a Netflix film. Right. Just- but Jim, you you did you had the you were kind of leading the charge, and you were the one who was speaking up and and saying like this is what we're going to have to do, you know. And and I agree. Not, like we were all just incredibly delighted and um and and happy that Netflix responded the way that they did. But it t- it sort of took that, you know, you being in that position of authority and having that vision and. And, and knowing that the access to the film was going to be as important as the film experience itself, you know, to really drive that forward, I think. We had a pretty interesting conversation around the title with them mm-hmm. and, and, and really the point that I, that I, you know, we all made was, look, you can be part of this movement. And allowing us, you know, the, using the word "crip" is a way to reclaim that word. It's a, and and that you could be part of this mission, uh, you know, of being, you know, just being part of this. That disability is a, is a culture, disability is an attitude, and um, and I think that was really essential to all of us that we had this title of of our film that really kind of made you know that this wasn't your average kind of, you know, ah, you know, inspirational film. Although the reality is the word inspiration is one of the most common words that people use when they've, after they've seen the film. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting thing. Yeah. I mean, what's really interesting is that, you know, we're all kind of used to, or, you know, speaking for myself, oh my God, there's this, other film where we're like inspirational, but indeed inspiration is important. And so this is an example of which that is appropriate. The correct use of the yes. word. Not that we were able to eat our breakfast. Or put our pants on. <laughs> An important part of that is the times we're living in. So to see this story of people 
the unexpected people who you don't expect to be able to make change coming together and making change and inspirational leadership such as your yours that's such a that's of course people are inspired today of all times you know it's and what Nicole referred to the kind of cross movement building support success I mean how many times have people commented on oh my god the Black Panthers fed you you know mind blown I think um you know, that kind of inspiration is really needed now. And I think that's part of the reaction to the film, that change can happen. Young people can make change. Women, from the beginning, I was always, because, you know, you and I are the same generation. Like, this was a, a, a movement that was predominantly led by women. That, Other than the women's movement, that was not the case back then, right? So there's so much that is legitimately, authentically inspirational in the film. People, of course, react beautifully to that right now you know we were in the I mean when you think about like how how tough of a fall we had you know I mean like summer and fall well as in this season yeah it's like it's like uh there were so many comments that we saw on social media and people talking to us saying like if you are feeling hopeless and like people getting out in the streets and protesting can't make a change, watch Crip Camp. You know, if if you think that anything is ever won by any way other than the kind of struggle that's seen in Crip Camp, then you need to watch Crip Camp. And I, I you know, I like to think I may, this may not be my most humble side, but I, I do like to think that it actually uh, did provide some. Um, solace and genuine inspiration and kind of just like um, hopefully helped push us to a place where we avoided a very, um, you know, potentially uh, really dark scenario this year. I mean, I think one of the great parts about Crip Camp is the amazing footage that you were able to get. And I guess really briefly, how did you find that footage? People want to know. You know, it really started with me having the talking to Nicole very early on about, you know, kind of about Camp Jeanette and my experience there. And then I said, you know, this group of hippie videographers came to camp one, one day and they actually gave me the camera and I did a tour of the camp. And I don't know. Uh, I think the word people was the name of the group. And then it was, I, I you know, but I had no more information than that. But then, you know, Nicole started, you started like on the internet every night for like what three months? Months, I think maybe longer. Yeah, I was just determined, and eventually I found this tiny little ad in the back of a magazine that said, like some old you know video radical video makers magazine from you know the early seventies that said, "Crabs outbreak at Camp Jeanette for the handicapped by the People's Video Theater six ninety five. And um, and so we were able to track down Howard Gutstadt and Ben Levine, um, who had actually been there filming at Jeanette. And we turns out Howard's like right across the bay in San Francisco. And Jim and I go over there and we walk into the restaurant and Howard looks up at Jim and just bursts into tears because he's so like moved by, you know, having handed this camera to this, um, as we previously discussed, incredibly uh, charming 15 year old boy and then having having that person like show up later to say like I want to take this footage and and tell one of the great stories of American history with it it's pretty amazing really beautiful 
And I think, you know, what's powerful for me, many things, but one is that the making of the film is an activist action by having an understanding of the importance of activism that really allowed you to look for both footage and great footage that you have from the camp footage through to uh, the ADA and beyond. And I think it also really reflects what really has been going on, which is, I think the disability rights movement has seen from the beginning that we needed to work broader within our movement, but equally important, we needed to be able to work with other movements. Because I think, you know, we've really felt, and it's not necessarily been reciprocated, that, you know, as disabled people like anybody else, there are multiple parts of who we are. And we may be being accepted in the disability community that we're in, but we're frequently not really accepted in all the other communities that we're in. And so I think that's really, you know, when people talk about the Black Panthers bringing food in, I make a point that that likely would not have happened if Brad Lomax was not a disabled man himself, who was one of the founders of the Panthers and involved with the demonstrations. You know, and those types of connections then allow natural things to happen. So kudos, because obviously I think this film on its own is obviously brilliant, but I really hope that it goes beyond influencing the disability community, as you were saying, Nicole, by people who saw the film but likely had nothing to do with disability, but found it to be a powerful film because it's it's a film intended to be beyond disability. Can I just, I'm going to butt in for a second and saying, I truly believe we would not be here if it wasn't for the fact that I met you at Camp Jeanette and that your influence upon me as a very young man and your, your, your personality, your perseverance, your, you're an incredible leader and you're the reason I got involved with disability rights and that never left me and and is the reason that I didn't want this story to be lost to history. So I have to tell you how much I love you and and say it publicly. I love you too. That's why I get to call him Jimmy and James. <laughs> um, when you heard that you were in the first uh, 15 films being uh, potentially nominated for the Academy. How did that make you all feel? Come on. Jimmy? Uh, well, <laughs> it was, it, it was just, you know, was it expected? I mean, I, I mean, you, you, you can never predict these things, Judy. And, and I, 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 despite what people may, I'm, I am humbled. And, <laughs> You know, but I mean, we really hoped we had won certain awards already, the International Documentary Association, uh, and so it, we were hopeful. Um, so, uh, but it was a, I don't, know, I kind of felt a little bit of a relief that we had gotten that far. <laughs> and you, Nicole, I was amazed, um, honestly. Like, it's not that I, um, you know, I, I felt like 
I think we all we all sort of had a, um, a a meeting with our impact team, and we all sort of said like, look, if we if we are not going to advance in this, we are going to know that we've already won because of all the things we've just been talking about around the impact the film is making in the world. We also knew that if we were able to advance, so many more people would see it and it would increase the impact. And so we were really, really hopeful, but I have to say it's just been an incredible year for documentaries. You know, there, there were so many films that didn't make the final 15 that I thought, Oh, how could this film not, not be on there? And every film that did is, is an amazing film. So I, um, yeah, I, I, I think we're, we're really fortunate to be in this particular class of, of films at a time when documentary is just, you know, uh, really having kind of a, a golden age. And, um, and so, yeah, I was, I, I really wasn't, I didn't think we, we had, had it locked in at all. <laughs> I was, I was delighted. Well, the day that they announced the five, um, I know everybody was watching TV or watching it on our iPhones and screaming at the same time. So, Sarah, when you heard that the film had been selected in the top five, what happened? Well, it was 5.30 in the morning here, and you know we are late risers, so it was pitch dark, and Jim and I just screamed our heads off. We, I didn't hear the rest of the list. I had to look it up later because it was alphabetical, and Crip Camp was the second one. So we're screaming and screaming, and I had no idea what the other three were. Um and yeah, just kind of otherworldly feeling and everything Nicole said. This was an amazing year for documentaries. There are so many good films. And, you know, that didn't even make it to the top 15. And um, so, yeah, I, I just, I'm thrilled because it's a ton of fun. It's amazing. And also it means more eyes on and more attention. And that's all good. We want, you know, we want the work of the film and the impact and all of that to go on for a long time. Well, I want to thank you all so much, and I can't wait to see the clothing that you're going to be wearing. Um, hopefully, the intended Oscars will be in person, like they're saying. And uh, I guess, should we expect that the academies will comply with the law as far as accessibility to the stage is concerned? Um, I'm very hopeful that that's going to happen um, they are very, very well aware of not only what the law is, but what the optics need to be in that you can't, um, you want to make it as as though we are not special, that there's no special way for if we were, the three of us were fortunate enough to be able to go on the stage, that we should be going the same route as everybody else. That that is true and that's true acceptance and, and inclusivity. Well, let me thank you all. Clearly, uh, I am not an unbiased person. I hope and pray that this film wins. Um, not just because of the quality of the film, but because I think it'll make a really important statement that the academies haven't made before. So win or lose, we've won but I hope you get to take your trophies home. So thank you all very much, guys. We'll talk soon. Thank you, Judy. Bye, Judy. Thank you. Lots of love to you, Judy. Thank you. You've been tuning in to The Human Perspective with Judy Human. This week, our guests were Sarah Boulder, Nicole Noonan, and Jim Lebrecht. 
You can find links to everything Crip Camp related on our website and in the episode description. The intro music for The Human Perspective is Dragon, which is produced and performed by Lachi, Yonetro, and Huaren. And the outro music is I Wait by Galen Lee. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to The Human Perspective. And follow Judy on Twitter at Judith Human and on Instagram and Facebook at The Human Perspective. <laughs>